Hello, welcome to the brand new podcast called The Collapse. Hi, my name's Greg Beyer. I'm the founder of Sustainability Arbitrage, or SUSARB for short. And this is really um, a, a, a kind of a very special and different kind of podcast about climate and sustainability because so much of um, of the media work around climate is to either raise awareness to the problem or is to um, talk about standard solutions. And, um, or I guess you could also include denialism, which is a big, big part of it. Um, but this podcast really um, is different in two respects. One, I think it's really important that everybody start to assume now that we're going to um, almost certainly have uh, a collapse or very serious catastrophes in, in the near future. And um, and that's really uh, been made super clear by a December 1 article in the Washington Post um, uh, with by the Washington Post climate team that worked with the um, Potsdam Institute of Climate, and they looked at 1,200 vetted uh, United Nations IPCC um, climate models. And the thing that really got me was when they talked about carbon removal, uh, if they worked with only reasonable assumptions, there were no, as in none, no paths to keep the uh, temperature from going uh, above 1.5 degrees Celsius by the end of 2100. Um, that didn't include uh, some kind of overshoot, which means um, you know going way above 1.5, or and then they had high overshoots, which was uh, 1.8 to 2. So. That just really stopped me in my tracks. I mean, not one to 1,200 models using reasonable assumptions could get you there. So it's therefore reasonable to assume that we're facing a collapse. And that's what's really, um, that's what kind of pushed me to call this podcast The Collapse and uh, for us to really start talking seriously about that. Because I mean, I think people generally get it, but we're not quite there. So, so that's that's the first part of the collapse podcast is is to really make the pod like the the prospect of a collapse essentially a certainty if we keep doing what we're doing. The other problem, though, is that so many of the solutions that are being proposed, um, like the carbon tax and um, um and 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 things like that are you know, people kind of keep trying to make something work which hasn't really worked and um and i think some really fresh ideas are needed to break you know make things move and for example just today i was listening to um john Kerry um in his interview with Francine Lacqua and I, I've heard John Kerry speak at a number of of uh, climate finance events, and 
you know, he's a great guy. I, I, he's done tremendous work to raise awareness around around uh, around climate, both as Secretary of State and as the uh, climate envoy for President Biden. But you know, today he was saying we need to get the private sector on board. The private sector, you know, we need to start using government money for first loss and 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 all that kind of stuff. And I just kind of feel everybody's just sort of. Um, trying to work the system, but we haven't really had fresh ideas. Okay, so here we are. Um, my name is Greg Beyer. I'm the founder of Sustainability Arbitrage, and I am basically a total nobody. But I do think that I've had a couple of pretty good ideas, and um, I've put them on the website susarb.com uh, slash activist. And the reason I put them under the activist heading on susarb.com, S-U-S-A-R-B.com. And by the way, my name is Greg Beyer. That's B-E-I-E-R, Greg Beyer. It's sort of an unusual spelling of the last name, which is German. And um, so more vowels and consonants. Um, but uh, so you can Google it and find it easily. But uh, it's under the activist heading because... Um, um, Institutional investors, particularly asset owners, meaning like pension funds, endowments, um, who have really long-term investment horizons and, and, and represent enormous amounts of money, right? Hundreds of trillions of dollars. They have huge incentives to get climate right or they're all gone. And either, you know, for their beneficiaries or the institutions that they, uh, that they manage money for, are clearly have are supposed to be around for the long term, and if these piles of money go away, they're going to go away too. Um, so, so they it's really the asset owners that have the right incentives to make the right moves, and also asset owners aren't really competing with anybody, so they also have incentives to be really transparent about what they're doing, both to their boards and to their beneficiaries. And to the regulators, so, um, and so I've I've put these four ideas under that heading uh, for them, and um, and that's why I've called this podcast uh, uh, what people in Davos uh, should be talking about, and the reason I say that is because I kind of, you know when I'm listening to the BBC reporting on and I love the BBC when I listen to the BBC reporting on Davos. Pretty much my sense of it is that the only really big idea that's coming out of it is um, is that, you know, we need to do carbon removal through technology, you know, scrubbing the air. And while that's a great idea, um, uh, and I hope it works, um, and also planting a lot of trees, the... the um, the truth is we don't really know, A, if it'll work, B, how much energy it'll take to get it to work. And so there's a whole bunch of stuff that's, uh, that's complicated there. So here's my, so my big idea is the following. Uh, and there's four of them, four ideas. And they're kind of born out of my experience. But the most important of one um, came to me in the uh, August of uh, 2021. And it was written up in an article called um, 
Uh, ESG data is a public good. Let's open it up. Published in Impact Alpha on November 21 of 2021. And, um, uh, and by the way, great help uh, from an editor there to clarify my thinking. And so uh, thank you very much uh, to her and to the team. And um, and we're also publishing something just so different and edgy. So thank you to that. And it was then republished on the uh, um, uh, Chartered Alternative Investment Analyst um, uh, Association and the uh, and GreenBiz.com, which I thought was sort of interesting to get the word out. So. Here's the here's here's the um, the big idea. The big idea is that um, it, if it, it really all started with a, a, a conversation with a professor who's two of whose classes have audited at the Harvard Kennedy School. His name's Richard Parker. He's really truly one of the best economic well, but definitely you know one of the best economics teachers going. And I was very lucky to get to 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 know him while I've been based. In Cambridge, Mass, or in, in the Cambridge area of Massachusetts, so um, the the a question that I was asking myself was, what is the disclosure that's needed um, for by companies? And I was writing a letter to the SEC, and it's on the SESARB site, and uh, you can Google my name in the SEC and find the same letter that I wrote. Um, but the the point is, is that the more I thought about it you know, in terms of disclosure, the more I started to realize that everyone's putting all this pressure on companies to disclose and, and to make the markets work. But the reality is we need the um, the big fund managers and the big institutional investors to disclose how they're thinking about it. And that's the key thing that's missing in this, in this uh, big transition. If that information, so the idea that I kind of had is is a combination of 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 what in t- today is called the thirteen um, thirteen F, and um, that's something that started in the seventies to increase public confidence in the market. So every quarter, at the end of every calendar quarter, institutional investors have to publish um, their stock holdings right within forty five days of the end of a calendar quarter. And also in the fixed income market, when um, new treasury bonds are issued, there's something called when issued trading. And uh, and when on-the-run govies are coming up, um, you'll have the when issued market will get active. And so the idea that I sort of came to, which I call full market disclosure, which is essentially a blend of when issued trading and 13Fs, is that each institutional investor would disclose their sustainability analysis or their climate analysis for a security on a transaction-by-transaction basis. Now, the benefit of doing this is that if a lot of institutional investors started doing, you know, started doing this, we would have a ton of data about how everybody's thinking it. So in terms of disclosure, you really have to focus on three things. Um, to make it quantitative, you need to have the raw data disclosed. You need to have the algorithms, in other words, how the raw data is manipulated disclosed, and you need to have the output of the algorithms or you know how it's dis- how it's manipulated disclosed. 
That's on the quantitative side. On the qualitative side, I also think it would be helpful if people just simply wrote out what their analysis is and how that's influencing it. And then um, and then in some cases you have blends and you can also include, you know, in your process how you're blending all this together and, and making your decision. It's it's a lot of people the pro the, the catch to doing this is that a lot of people in the sustainable investment business uh, aren't really investors. They're you know they're sustainability types. They're people interested in the environment. So they think that these tools and metrics that they've developed are really um, the other edge and the reason they're in the business. But I uh, I think that that's a mistake. And I think everybody just needs to open up about what they're doing because you know at this moment. Nobody in the business can agree on terms. What is sustainable investing? Is it ESG? What is impact? I mean, nothing is happening and everybody is stuck. And and while I was writing this piece for the SEC, it became really clear to me that uh, things are getting much worse, much faster uh, than anybody who was studying the climate 30 years ago um, thought would happen today by now. And so stuff that people thought might happen by 2100 if it got really bad is starting to happen even now. So the pace of change is accelerating. It's getting worse faster. And so my sort of, then I went thought, so my thinking is let's just start disclosing because maybe my guess is we only have 10 to 15 years to make a meaningful difference in the markets. And after that, um, my guess is, you know, climate shocks could start, and once the climate shocks can start, start rather, uh, the financial markets are going to be out of business because their opportunity to make a change will be over. They'll start moving to command and control economies at that uh, sort of wartime footing, and um, and the opportunity to make a difference through investing will be over uh, in terms of bringing about a sustainability change. So let me go back a little bit to this, the first idea, which is this disclosure, full market disclosure. And so I call it full market disclosure because I thought if everybody treated their analysis of sustainability or of climate as a public good, because it's in our interest that we all get this right. And this is a really, really complicated problem. And the only way we can solve it is if everybody just puts it out there, what we're doing. And, and in part, I was inspired um, um, uh, by Eric Schmidt, who had come to Harvard, and he was giving a talk at the Kennedy School, and he mentioned something called, you know, the reason why social media worked is because of the network effects, the power laws of network effects. And so basically, the more people that get added to a network um, – the, the much greater um, the 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 uh, power of the network um, increases geometrically, and so that's a huge difference. And and then um, and so I think that is basically why Davos is starting to fail. A forum like Davos can never really solve these problems. They can they can kick networks into gear, but 
they'll never ever have the network effects of getting so many people involved to really work out and solve all these micro problems. And so if you take of all these institutional investors started disclosing uh, with some reasonable delay, and my guess is everybody should start at the uh, longest possible delay, say, um, you know, a calendar quarter, the longest of which could be 92 days and add 45, which was the 13F time. So let's just say 137 days. And then and then on a transaction by transaction basis, uh, start disclosing that. Um, and then people can decide how to tighten it up from there and and shorten that distance. And we we would just we would create this enormous amount of data and all of these um, and so the um, uh, um, um, so these these all these sub networks would immediately form and. Uh, and that would create a real hive of activity. And I think there would be this um, full market disclosure journalism would kick in and it would just really completely change the face of finance almost overnight. Of course, it would. It, and, and so the real power of this and the reason and the only way I think this is, is ultimately going to work is the fastest thing that can change is human perception like pricing. And that's the reason why fundamentally all the climate stuff has failed so far is that we haven't really focused on the real-time pricing of climate risk. And I think this full market disclosure approach, which I'm <laughs> doing a poor job of describing in this podcast, but I just want to get it out there and start the discussion, um, is, is, is the key because at least it makes it concrete and and then there's some very interesting effects. So the way I proposed it is that any institutional investor with a billion dollars or more of assets has, you know, discloses their climate analysis or their sustainability analysis, the whole analysis, and the more information they provide, the better. Now, the key is is that you're not required to do the analysis, right? But if you have done it, you need to disclose it, right? And if asset owners start doing it themselves, and they could just put up all their analysis, I mean, all the members of GFANS, you know, who right now I don't think are accomplishing much of anything. So the easiest thing that they can do, which is free, is just to simply post all of their sustainability, climate, and finance analysis. Bang! Just put it up. And then, if, you know, and then of course, you know, Bloomberg and Reuters are going to go crazy, and everyone's going to figure out how to organize it and and uh and make it available because that's what these organizations do and of course it should be free and open to everybody but the key is that the organizations who are posting it are all regulated institutions who have large incentives you know to be straightforward about what they're doing right and and the professionals are regulated who do it and everything else so that's what keeps spamming out of the system I do think that we will get uh, institutional investors who will just kind of put up um, boilerplate reports or rubber stamp, you know, kind of um, generic cookie cutter uh, analysis just to have something up, right, to, to be uh, in vogue. But what will happen, I think, once this analysis starts going up is that the market will put a premium on thought leadership and, and that will drive um, – uh, a really increase in the quality of the disclosure and the analysis. 
So, um, so that's my sort of initial take on sort of full market disclosure and why I think it'll work and why I think it can work so quickly. And, and, and the analogy I like to, to use is that it'll be like the Berlin Wall coming down uh, when communism ended. And it, the whole thing went off without a shot being fired. And the, in the, you know, the Soviet army went back to, you know, just pulled out of Eastern Europe and everybody just left and the whole thing was done. And, and I think that's like the fall of communism. And so I, everybody just had agreed and they knew it was over and they did it. And so I think by getting all this data out and having all this uh, real-time transactions and having continual updating and all these networks forming and all this reporting going on, that's the missing thing that will change the perception really quickly globally because all the data is totally open and available and everyone can look at it and the large institutional investors keep updating it transaction by transaction by transaction and everyone will be able to see how this is evolving and so many different things can be worked out uh, how it can be looked at can be parsed in so many different ways and i'll save that for another uh, another podcast i'm very happy to get into all that but i think i think this what i call full market disclosure or or sustainability full market disclosure or climate full market disclosure, I think that's the key. And and I haven't heard anybody anywhere talk about doing anything like this. And um, and so and what's exciting is that there really aren't any barriers to entry to doing it. And the, the and the institutional investors who have the incentives, how they have the data. So let's just everybody put it out there and see where it takes us. I don't think it's a negative, especially for the asset owners who have fiduciary obligation to be transparent. I think maybe they're afraid because they tend to be on the more conservative side. So perhaps some of the um, um, Scandinavians or some of the Dutch who tend to be on the more avant-garde or maybe um, uh, some of the religious uh, uh, institutional investors, um, you know, could take the lead and, and really drive the change. But I, I'm I'm quite certain that once it starts to happen, it'll go. And then there's going to become this big opportunity to become the leader in the space. And so once the asset owners do it, then they, the asset owners can put pressure on their service providers, their asset managers to do it. Then the brokers do it. And then that feeds into the private equity funds and the venture capital funds. And then the regulators get on board. And then the whole thing gets gets formalized and bang, you know, it's in business. And... And the benefits are, you know, this would, you know, uh, this would, I think, filter out through the OECD very quickly. And and that's, you know, how the global pricing would change. Through this pricing change and having so much rich data happening in real time, it'll create this incredible, what I call like a gravity field of energy. And it'll just change pricing and uh, it'll also change politics and um, because we'll start to have a lot of, of hard information uh, to, to assess. And, and, and so many complex changes have to occur so quickly simultaneously, we really need good data to make that work. Now we come back to the, the next idea, which is making ESG data a public good. Uh, some people have been talking about this for a little bit, and I learned about that as I had been writing about it. And um, and people have been generally sort of you know thinking this is something which needs to happen. But uh, 
uh, I think the, the simplest way is that once you have all this disclosure going on, then it'll become clear what data people are using and either free substitutes will emerge or if we're going to use uh, the paid data or the ratings or however you want to call it, all that stuff um, needs to be opened up immediately. And um, and that's what's really you know killing price discovery in the markets right now is that uh, in addition to all the fund managers keeping their analysis secret because they feel like that's their um, their secret uh, secret sauce, um, I I think that um, proprietary data, proprietary models, and proprietary ratings, some of which you actually have to sign NDAs even to look at, which I think is just so nuts, and so. If we know what data everyone needs, um, then big organizations like GFANS can then say to the members, hey, everybody should chip in, you know, literally a tenth of a basis point or a twentieth of a basis point. And, um, and we could put together uh, pools of money, which could then be organized and, uh, um, and used to pay the uh, ratings data as a model providers. And look, you know, these buyers have a lot of power and they could basically just have a buyer strike. And I also think once the regulators see what's going on, they're going to realize that, that the, the most important thing that has to happen is the real-time pricing of sustainability uh, and climate in real-time financial markets and I think they can then mandate it as well. So something like this, I think, is on the horizon. So so the so you have an opening of the pricing, you have an opening of the data, and that would do that. Those two things right there, I think, would be by far the two most significant things that could transform and accelerate um, uh, sustainability, because then. You know, even when if I like I spoke at a conference in the spring and I was talking with somebody who's a really devout supporter of Donald Trump, but um, and 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 this person was of the opinion like we you know totally disagreed with me on sustainability stuff, on climate, and the role of the UN, all these things, but completely agreed with me that we need more data, and that's the key. And and again, like I said, in full market disclosure, you know nobody is required to do the analysis in a certain way. And that's the problem I think that we're getting into in finance right now is that is that now people are starting to think like there has to be these taxonomies and all these standards. I think the best thing is just to open it all up and let the market figure it out. And and there's a real risk of committees screwing it up <laughs> or at least creating an, an, an outlet for people to have an opinion and for that opinion to be heard. And, um, and all these uh, things that are going on between uh, 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 eight funds and nine funds in the EU, you know, and, and, and funds are getting downgraded for the greenwashing claims. I think that all of that is completely unnecessary. If everyone just disclosed what they're doing, the market would very easily be able to classify what funds were doing what. And if that was changing without even – it wouldn't require much regulation because it would just be perfectly obvious. 
So solving like greenwashing in the investment business would do a lot to increase public confidence in the funds that they're investing in. And also it would give fund managers a lot more confidence to actually do these strategies without about worrying about getting uh, sued and all that stuff. So I just think that there's a much better, simpler, cleaner way to solve the whole problem. Uh, and, and as again, as I alluded to earlier, from my perspective, we only have you know 10 or 15 years to get this right. And if we don't get it right, all these sustainability businesses are going to be worth zero when the climate shocks start because the markets won't be able to make the, the, the power of the markets to make a difference will really start to, to start to decline precipitously. So everybody, what's the point? Let's just you know open it up and go for it and try to solve the problem. And uh, so many of the owners of these ESG data providers, um, uh, you know, MSCI is a is a big, big one by itself. And then uh, Morningstar, what they own, uh, Sustainalytics and the FT and Bloomberg and everybody's got their thing. And I think a lot of people get that we need to open up the data, um, but because they have financial incentives to try and make money from it. <laughs> We're in this perverse situation where everybody in the sustainability business says, oh, well, the oil industry has to change. But then so many people in the sustainability business are trying to make money with the same kind of model of centralized control of a key resource, which in this case is becoming data. Um, it's sort of the same sort of perverse incentives and we're creating negative externalities with this big blowback where by even using it, it becomes destructive. So... Um, I think the only way out of this is to open it up. Okay, so that's the that those those first two ideas. Uh, um, you know, let's let's uh, cr let's create sustainable, uh, you know, full market disclosure of sustainability. That'll that'll create real time pricing of sustainability and uh, create like you know the fall of the Berlin Wall and massive massive change in movements in the markets and so stuff that. Um, uh, Secretary Kerry was just talking about today at the World Economic Forum. Um, it, it, it the markets will, will will move because they'll have the data, and then it'll be clear and obvious to everyone what we got to do. And then all the data becomes open, and uh, mechanisms are found to pay the people you know to keep collecting the data, or free alternatives are generated. And you know, bang, we have this enormous. Um, uh, flush of data through the markets and that will do a lot to change everybody's view on a lot of things perfect so then we have an issue you know what one of the things that i think has become very weird over the last 30 years since i've been in finances is that um you know like when i started at an investment bank 30 years ago in research uh nobody worried about um I mean, really, nobody worried about like you know intellectual property, uh, non disclosures, non competes. You know, you showed up, you went to work, and if you wanted to move on, you could do it, and that was fine. So, the same thing, uh, we need to get back to that, especially for people who work in in the pricing of sustainability or sustainability analysis, research, investing, etc., with climate. Um, because I feel like a lot of talent and ideas right now uh, could, is, is, is either bottled up or could get bottled up. 
And we're in this sort of like, you know, like last chance to make sustainability work in the markets. So I think it's time to remove, you know, we need to free up the talent. And I think uh, sort of my thinking is, and I'm not a lawyer, but uh, my thinking is um, that, you know, with the exception of, you know, providing basic, uh, you know, confidentiality for clients, all these other restrictions that have become commonplace, particularly with the rise of private equity, um, they need to they need to go away for people involved in sustainable finance and climate finance, because we really just need to get the best ideas and most innovative ideas out there. So you know, time to tear down the non competes, the NDAs, and the um, uh, uh, and these uh, all these uh, crazy IP agreements, and it's just it's it's nuts. So, so then we have like a lot more freer talent, which is interesting because that's something that actually, um, you know, Eric Eric Schmidt had he when when he spoke at Harvard, he said why you know why is it that Massachusetts doesn't have like a Google's and Apple's here, and maybe it's just because you know the employment agreements are too onerous, and in California is it makes it a little bit freer for that. I, I'm I'm not sure. Um, but that's just something which came to my mind. Okay, uh, point four. So this is this is kind of um, a, a, bit, a bit of a break from what I've uh, been working on, but it's it's something that's so unusual, and I haven't heard anybody talk about it that it just seems so obvious. So here's the big idea. It's it's likely that. Or, you know, we have to start, a, you know, how do we prepare for a collapse, right? And, 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 and if it's going to happen, you know, what are some of the things that we can do, and especially as investors, to, to, make, to make things, you know, from totally falling apart? So one thought that I've had is around software. Most software that controls everything that we use today is proprietary, and um, if things start to fall apart, like, you know, like they did over COVID and uh, let's say, you know, internet goes out or over-the-air updates aren't available or all that kind of stuff, um, it, it maybe it's time to require software running on things to be open, totally open source or, you know, free software is another way to describe it. And so... Like, for example, just imagine, you know, equipment in a hospital. And imagine if you went to a hospital and for some reason it just stopped working. Like, the point of going to the hospital has just gone down because of all that specialized gear there, which can really do a lot to help you. And um, so I think as investors, we need to start, you know, demanding that that um, all the hardware be run on open software and open source software or free software. And that's software that at least if there are glitches, we can fix it. <laughs> and it's going to take time to switch everything over. So a friend was telling me that uh, medical equipment typically has a three-year um, lifespan. So it turns over every three years. So um, so at least if if the planning starts going into into motion... Um, then we can start turning stuff over. But just like, you know, there's just so many things now that are controlled with software, particularly proprietary software. 
So it's going to take a good 10, 10, 15 years to swap everything out. So I think the move to open software has a lot of power. And then the other interesting thing is, if you if we got behind that in earnest, um, I think there'll be two other interesting developments. One, one of the benefits of software is that you build common tools. So it'll we won't. Well, actually, our software will get dramatically better because we won't have so many engineers building the same <laughs> basic tools across so many pieces of software, which are all proprietary. So we'll have a lot more talent available to solve other problems or even just make the software so much better. So that's number one. So we'll get common libraries, right? And that's supposed to be one of the whole points of software and you know, computer science 101. And two, uh, which has gone away as you know everything went proprietary. And then two, um, once all this software is open and people can look around and see what's going on, I think this is going to create really unique and interesting opportunities for kind of micro markets and micro data because we're going to be able to reach in and see how things are being formed, how data is being shaped. So, um, so these are just some interesting ideas. I, I can't say too much beyond that, but I think, I think something really interesting is going to happen there. So these are four really kind of big ideas and quite totally contrary to um, what everyone's talking about. But I think for sure uh, the first idea, which is um, full market disclosure, institutional investors disclosing their climate slash sustainability analysis slash ESG analysis on a transaction by transaction basis with you know some delay starting at about 137 days and then getting shorter and everyone has to kind of figure out where that is. But let's at least get the disclosure started that would have an enormous impact on markets um, and get people starting to think really seriously about uh, what they're doing and really improving uh, how everyone's thinking about it. So um, so that's my big sort of my four points. And uh, I'm sure after I've put this down, <laughs> I will uh, definitely have uh, a lot of other things to add. But here's the first cut. Uh, the first shot of putting it out there, um, you can find me on Twitter at Greg Beyer, G-R-E-G-B-E-I-E-R, uh, same on LinkedIn, and same on Instagram. And uh, thank you so much for listening. And uh, I do think that, so basically, look, in, in my mission statement, I say that, um, you know, our goal is to end uh, the climate and biodiversity crisis and poverty, Right. Um, through building uh, uh, substrates and markets of, of data and standards and, and, and ending these big problems in the next 20 years. And, and I think the reason I think 20 years is, is realistic is because I just think that we all just need to get on the same page of music, but we're, we're, we're all looking at so many different things. We, we can't, we, we, we aren't even putting anything of what we're thinking out in the open. But I think once we put our thoughts out in the open about how we're considering these problems as investors in a concrete form, I think that will that everyone will just kind of snap into it 
and that will just dramatically uh, improve uh, the quality of the analysis in pretty much real time. I mean, there'll be some delay uh, for the disclosure, but the markets will really get it into gear. And while everyone initially will be hesitant, thinking they're giving away all their or their secrets, the benefit of the overall improvement and the uh, functioning of pricing of sustainability in real time will be. Um, uh, it'll be like a quantum leap for the markets. It'll be something completely different. And and that's the thing that we're missing at the, at the moment. So, uh, and by the way, I think it makes sense for a couple of institutional investors to give it a shot and for to try some uh, limited programs. And, uh, and really, what do we have to lose? I mean, we're facing, uh, <laughs> we're facing, you know, the likely development of, of uh, overshoots of going well over 1.5 degrees Celsius. And um, I just don't think we have anything to lose. And I think we have everything to gain. So let's give it a go. And uh, I have a lot of thought and a lot of work and a lot of material, which I'm happy to share with everybody. And um, let's give it a try. Full market disclosure, ESG data is a public good. Let's uh, free up the talent and then let's go to... Uh, Let's open up the software. Uh, I think these four things uh, would do an enormous amount of good for everybody and would dramatically change um, uh, our our likelihood of improve our likelihood of um, of uh, coming together and figuring out how to solve the climate problem. Because remember, power of human beings when we cooperate is really something, but we need to have like that real super granularity. So like a lot of self-organization and network form groups uh, can spontaneously and organically arise. Uh, and as long as everybody keeps, you know, pumping out what they're doing, um, uh, I think that that feedback and that, that um, continual group learning Will have an enormously positive effect and uh, will really change the dynamics of everything. So I hope to start having other people on the podcast. This is me just getting it out there on the very first shot, and uh, I think um, I think these are the kinds of ideas. I wish that people were talking about this at Davos because I think that um, I think that these are concrete. I think, uh, especially the full market disclosure by institutional investors. These are this is totally implementable. It's essentially free. We can do it right now, and and my thinking is, this change could sweep. You know, we all the institutional investors across the world could be doing this within twelve to eighteen months. So, this is something that can happen really fast. And, uh, and, and would change, uh, totally change the face of the markets. And, um, so that's my thinking. We could, we could make it happen in a year. It could happen that quickly. It would be like the start of the euro dollar market or the start of the foreign exchange market. It could be just something which just happens really fast. And I'm really confident that people in the investment business can turn this on and make this work. And there's so many talented people who would understand how to put this problem together and solve it. Um, but uh, let's let's at least give it a shot. So thank you very much. I will be back uh, with more discussions on uh, these four ideas. And thank you for listening to the first episode of the Collapse podcast um, 
what everyone should be talking about at Davos. Okay, uh, thank you again and uh, take care.